Hi, everyone. Welcome along to uh, the latest edition of the Precursive Podcast uh, with me, Jonathan Corey. Um, I still think I'm, I'm trying to sound too much like a radio host when I do the introductions, but there we go. Uh, today, I am delighted to be joined by uh, Dave Jackson, who is the CEO of Customer.co and the author of Dynamic Organizations. Uh, welcome along, Dave. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Jonathan, and thanks very much for the invitation. No, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I understand, is it your day off today? You're having, your, your weekend has started? <laughs> My weekend has started, although I've got a couple of other calls today as well. Uh, but yeah, I managed to um, escape to, uh, to a place on the coast, um, hoping to spend nice. a nice family weekend, long weekend. Very good, very good. Well, I do appreciate you, you taking the time on, on your day off to... Uh, to chat with me. Um, so, so as you're aware, I think this this show really explores a number of topics in the world of, of professional services and customer success in B2B tech and professional services. Um, uh, a lot of the focus at the moment for, for uh, companies out there is like, how can we create this scalable and repeatable approach to growth? And, and both of those uh, functions play a key role in helping customers to achieve their outcomes and values. So I'm really excited given your experience because in, in your career you've you've worked across both consultancy roles executive positions of course running your founding and running your own business and and customer success so um for those of us that don't know perhaps you could share a little bit about your career and, and the story thus far as it were um well it's a long story and if anybody's seen my picture recently <laughs> you can tell why it's uh, you know, <laughs> the hair is thin and gray and what's there um, yeah, I have a, a long and varied career. Um, I started out in purchasing logistics. I went into education. I was part of a team that built an MBA at a business school in Derby. Um, I did management education. I've done consulting in several different guises. And I think the thing perhaps I'm most proud of from a career perspective is I started one of the UK's first SaaS companies, Click Tools, in 2000, uh, before the term SaaS was invented. Indeed. Um, and always had a passion for customers. So that goes back to uh, the education and um, um, days when I was involved in a lot around supplier quality and total quality. Um, and that's morphed into, you know, customer-led quality. Um, and that passion stayed with me. And I fundamentally believe that, uh, you know, customers have got to be a, um, at the heart of, of any organization. Easy to say, more difficult to do. Indeed, yeah, you can't just have posters on a wall claiming things and then not make it so. It's interesting you mentioned yeah. how the education, your work in education um, instilled in you some the passion for customers. I, I come from that background myself. I worked in, in, in and around areas of leadership development where we mm -hmm. were doing, doing training courses and I was helping to organise those. And it was, it was definitely very fulfilling to see people enjoying learning and meeting their peers. And, and I think... It's interesting how you mentioned that and it influenced your, your thinking. Um, well, it has. You, you and, and it's not, it, sorry, it's, it's not just mm. that piece. Actually, I think one of the key roles of a leader is, um, I was going to say as a teacher, um, I think the term, the term I prefer is a facilitator of learning. Because um, mm. learning and teaching are two different things. The Chinese have got a wonderful way. They can only express the concept of learning using two ideograms, two symbols. One means study, the second means practice. So in their philosophy, you've not learned until you've done both. 
And there's a lot in there, I think, which is what is at the heart of leadership. Yeah, well, I I'd definitely like to explore that with you with further as we as we go through this, because kind of in your leadership roles, I would imagine you've seen and you've had, the, I guess, the the exciting thing would be to see how the the importance of customers has kind of risen and, and continues to grow, certainly in the world of, of SaaS, um, with the evolution of customer success. Um, like you said, you, you, you started a SaaS company before there was something known as SaaS. So um, how have you seen customer success evolve and, and, and where do you see it moving to, do you think? Um, well, if you look at its, its origins, um, I think the phrase first came along in the late 90s. Um, the people that probably took it to, uh, to prominence were Salesforce. Yep. Um, and the reason was uh, there was a, I think it was back in 2004, 2005, Salesforce was doing really well, growing well. Um, but then uh, they had a, an offsite meeting and there was a, an Irishman, I think it was John Murphy, his name was John Murphy. He basically said, look, you know, it's great that we're growing all this revenue, but we're actually screwing the business because we're losing it all. Plus churn was something like 12% a month, it was a crazy number. So we're getting all these new customers and then losing them. Um, and that's what led Mark Benioff to say, okay, we're going to create a customers for life group. We're going to create this role called customer success managers. Um, and I think they did that around the April of 2005. Um, we were very close to Salesforce because we were a customer. Um, we were a supplier to them, but we're also their first European software partner. Um, and they were essentially back then almost the only company you could learn about how to run a SaaS company from them and a couple of others that the, the experience was very thin. So we thought, well, if, if, that, if Salesforce are doing it, um, we, are, we think customers are really important. Okay, we'll do it. So we appointed our first CSM in October 2005. And back then, it was the reason that Salesforce created it. The focus was about stopping churn. Customer success equaled preventing churn. And that's yep. where it really started from a SaaS perspective. That evolved and it became much more of a growth vehicle. So then it started to be, well, if we get the renewal and actually if we're delivering success, there's an opportunity to, to sell more. Um, and as a, as a SaaS CEO, you, you, know, you learn about things like cost of acquisition and you realize that actually selling to an existing customer is far less expensive than selling to a new customer. And there's benchmark data that, that proves that to be the case. So it took on this, this focus around growth. Um, and I think that's still where a lot of companies are. I think the better ones are starting to move in, I think, two directions. One is there's a greater understanding now of what CS as a company-wide capability is. But there are very, very few companies that I see really, really practicing that. And I think the other is... Um, because customer success is not just anymore about what you do to prevent churn and to grow revenue. I'm writing a book at the moment and it's, you know, the whole thesis of the book is that customer success, delivering value to customers, is the core thread that runs right through any SaaS company. So understanding as a company-wide capability, something that you build in right from the start and you maintain all through the life of the company, is one thing. And the other thing is, goes back to, um, uh, to my experiences. Um, in 2010, we sold 49.9% of, of the company ClickTools, which was a, a survey and feedback and forms company. Um, 
to SurveyMonkey. Um, and SurveyMonkey started in 1999, probably the first true product-led growth company. And I learned a lot from Dave Goldberg and the other people at SurveyMonkey about how to build a really good product that doesn't need the level of support, that doesn't need the level of success resources, that doesn't need professional services. So I think, you know, the next evolution or the current evolution of, of customer success is it's a company-wide capability and it's actually what you build the product around. Yeah, yeah. Is it, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, you talk about SurveyMonkey and that, and that, like you say, that almost that ease of use and er eradicating the need for support around that. Um, that's certainly something we aspire to. It's very challenging in the space that we're in because our, our customers are, professional services teams or, or implementation teams. And that world is so inherently complex, as you yourself yeah. know, there's so many moving pieces, but it's still a core philosophy because, because the more that you can, you know, the more that you can remove the need for like, like overcoming user experience issues and focusing on value through your customer yeah. success organization, right? Um, the, the better so no that that, that yeah. certainly resonates with me and and yeah. I, I just think I just think it's amazing that you've just been in, involved in this at that at that stage because it, it, it's it, you know as an industry now it's kind of so well known it's funny I look at all of my old colleagues who I used to work with who are working in information services and consulting and they're all in tech companies now they're all in SaaS businesses you know yeah um and it's just it's just become very very, very commonplace um yeah you you You've you've said you you, t you t the story of Salesforce is 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 a great one, right? Because it links to kind of one of the, the next things. Like I, I I'm seeing at the moment, there's a, a a lot of stuff coming out of people like Tom Tungutz and Nick Meta around, um, and and of course people like Dave Kellogg around NDR or net retention, right? As yeah. a as a as a as a very um, important metric for SaaS organizations. Do you feel like people really get it? Do you feel like people really get, I mean, the metric itself to understand, but do you think people really get it in terms of how to achieve good levels of, of, of NDR or NRR? Um, I think most people in the customer success world would not have any difficulty in understanding what net revenue retention is, how it's calculated. Um, do I think that people understand it in depth? No, I think, I think one of the things that is to me frustrating about this, the CS community is in many, many areas, there's a reluctance to recognize CS as a commercial activity. It is, let's not beat about the bush. Personal success is about delivering great value to customers, which if you do it well, converts into revenue into your company. And, and you know, you talked about the CS organization. I think we've got to stop talking about the CS organization and start thinking more about the CS capability. Because the other thing I find sometimes frustrating with the CS community is the same is true of professional services. You know, we've, we've got this thing, lots of organizations have got a customer success organization and professional services organization. And I struggle to understand why they, the two exist separately because they both do the same thing. They both deliver, they both should do the same thing. They should both be delivering value to customers. The only difference is that in many cases, one is free and one is paid for. Um, but the end point is the same. The goal is the same. It's about delivering value to customers in a way which the customers appreciate so much, the renewal becomes automatic. The upsell becomes automatic because 
upsells relate to how you can add more value to customers. So do I think NRR as, as a calculation is understood? Yes. Do I think what's required to make it happen is understood? No. Um, and I also think that it's it should be one of two measures that the whole company is focused on. To the extent that um, I was talking to one CEO and um, in some advice, and we were talking about comp plans. And you know, we were talking about, well, what comp plan should CS have and what comp plan should professional service, what comp plan should sales and things like that and other teams. Um, and this goes back to some work we did at, at Click Tools. Never quite got there. But one thing we did at Click Tools, we put everybody, everybody in the company on the same bonus plan, which yeah. was revenue growth times customer satisfaction. Right. Now, revenue growth in a way is NRR. So I think it's not just about what you measure, but it's about how you use that measurement. Yep. I think in, in most organizations, by preference, if you've got that level of maturity, will be to move to a measure which is a CLTV to CAC ratio, lifetime value to cost of acquisition ratio. Yep. Because that's got a slight edge over NRR in that it's also got a productivity element to it. There's a cost element in it. So if yeah, I was doing that work again, I would do CLTV to CAC as the as the company bonus. Yeah, I think certainly I see more and more, less so in, in larger organizations, but in many scale-ups and certainly some mid-market organizations. Um, I, I know one of the things we're going to talk about later is, 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 is kind of the, the organization of a business and that we shouldn't focus on organization and teams necessarily and just what sort yeah. of knowledge are. But what is interesting, if I look at some of the org charts that I see, um, is I see people being, you know, head of services and success more and more and having those two areas. Um, an example of that, John Harrison was on was on this show previously at Sage. Um, and and, you know, he talked about we, we talked about kind of his his career and he came from a very traditional PS background, which was all about margin. PS revenue, being a cost center, and how his journey into the world of customer success just radically altered his thinking around how services and success really have a, that shared mission, which is delivering value, which will ultimately drive, as you say, NRR, ARR, if you, if you do it correctly, yeah. um, and if you have that shared mission. Um, can the, do you think, that the CS community can in a way be its own worst enemy because there's a huge amount of information out there, right? In various forums, LinkedIn, publications from the vendors, more and more. And do you feel like sometimes companies and people can struggle to keep it simple? Yes, uh, yes, definitely. Um, the CS community is, I think is, probably one of the best communities around. And in the same thing, um, one of the worst communities around. It's both at the same time. The CS community is excellent at sharing. It's really good. If you've got a problem, put a question up, you'll get lots of really good answers. The thing that I don't find enough of in the CS community is probably two things. One is, um, and this is changing, but I think one is, is there's still a weakness around understanding the commercial role of customer success. And the second is, it's, I don't find it a community which is really, really good at being self-critical. 
So it's very good at amplifying the same message and improving that. I think it's less good at, at um, what uh, Elon Musk talks about, you know, first principle thinking. And I think there's a shortage of that. Where do you feel it needs to critique itself more? Um, I think one of the big issues that, that we've got with customer success, and it's probably not unique to customer success, but I, you know, it's an area that I work a lot in, is um, it goes back to the words of, uh, of Chen Zhu. So Chen Zhu is the yep. CEO of a company called Zwora. He was one yep. of the first, I don't know, 10 or 12 people at Salesforce. Written an excellent book, which I would recommend to anybody called Subscribed, which is about the growth of the subscription economy. And I paraphrase him because I can't remember the exact words, but he said in that book, we tend to meet, we tend to meet each new challenge by creating a new department. And that's what we've done with customer success. And I think that is, that is a, what I've learned over my time is that's a fundamental mistake. And it's a mistake that we make in CS. It's a mistake that many CEOs make. Customer success is, is the, Jonathan, like me, you founded a company. Why did, you found a, why did you start a company? Because you'd identified a problem and you think you can solve that problem better than other people. In other words, you found a new way to deliver success to customers. And by the way, you did that with a product primarily, not a service. So if you understand that, so if you, if you start to think that a little bit deeper, you start a company because you've found a way to deliver success to customers. You've identified what value means to them. And we'll talk a little bit later, hopefully, about what customers are. And, and I think the reason that we overcomplicate it is my field is B2B SaaS. B2B SaaS is dead simple. It is really simple. Once you've identified what problem you are solving for which customers, all a B2B SaaS company does is market that value, sell that value, deliver that value through the product, and enable that value through what we currently call CS and PS. That's it. Yep. And it's a, that, so that value and understanding what that means right across that entire, what you call it, pipeline, whatever you want to call it, customer journey, yep. that's, that, that's that red thread. Yep. And it has to be the same red thread right through the whole of the company. You can't have yep. an understanding of value in marketing that's different from what you're trying to sell, which is different from where product's headed, which is why this becomes not around customer success. It's why you know, value to customers is the basis of building the whole of the organization. Yep. Might my, my a team or two teams helping enable some of that be part of it? Yes. But while ever we try to build customer success up as an isolated department, we'll fail. Yeah, I, I think I think that there's a um, I think that that sometimes there's an overcomplication of like how value is like described or captured by teams, right? By by people in general who work in in business. Um, and it's sort of born out of, you know, when I worked in the corporate world, it was born out of, you, you sort of got sheep dipped in the, in the language of the company that you worked in, right? And we had all these acronyms and for, for everything in the business. And, and, and one of the best mentors I had in that company was seriously focused on like, talk like your clients talk, right? Not like you talk, but how do they describe you know, how they do their job, what they're trying to achieve, what outcomes they want to achieve, all of these types of things. 
yeah. um, because in, in 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 the markets that we operate in, um, so we operate in in like tech and telecoms and some finance and fintech, for example. A lot of the time, all of the people in in CS and PS, they're all trying to achieve the same things, it's all the same stuff, but they talk about it in slightly different ways, right? The the metrics are all the same generally, but like and the KPIs generally are like you know within reason are are similar maybe calculated like a different way but a lot of the time i think that the csms that i that i meet or even the services people that i meet they're quite just inwardly focused you know and yes. and they can't they can't sort of imagine i always say look imagine pretend that you're the customer and how they talk and what they talk about and and and, and everything starts from there right if you can almost play act in that way and work back from that you'll just be way more successful in your job because you'll be able to pinpoint which elements of your products are most useful for that customer at that point in time and and i do think that there's just this overcomplication and like you know sort of almost like just putting way too much into people's brains and it's just like just just rush simplify it take it right back because you're a big believer in value being at the center of everything right um, and yes. I just think, you know, people struggle with that. Now, let's talk about that because you are very passionate about customer value as the foundations of, of organizational design. You mentioned earlier, like the role of a CEO being the chief, when we were chatting, the chief organization designer. Tell us more about this idea of customer value as the foundation of, for the design of all elements of a, of a B2B yeah. SaaS company. Um, when you were talking about it, Jonathan, you used to, when you talk about customer value, you said they rather than it. Mm -hmm. Why did you say that? Do you know why you said that? Yeah, because it's people, isn't it? Right. It's humans, yeah. People and, who work in companies. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one of the big mistakes we make and actually why sometimes value gets overcomplicated because we think of the customer as a singular thing. Yeah. The book I'm writing at the moment is, I've got one of the chapter headings, working title. Customer success is not about customers. It's about people. Mm -hmm. So if you want to understand value, it's not about understanding value from a company perspective. You know, people bat on about ROI. I would suspect that 95% of people that our types of companies deal with don't give a toss about ROI. A few do. Most of them, all they want to do is they want to do their job better. They want to be more successful. They want to be easier. Um, they want to do what they, you know, they want to achieve their goals in less time at a better level. Yeah. And I think until we start to think about value to individuals, we'll lose sight of what customer success is because it's about value. So what you want out of products and services that you use, that, that percussive use, is very different to what your yeah. CSMs want out of it, very different to what your people in product want out of it. Yeah. So we've got to get away from this concept of a singular outcome. It's not about singular, it's about what's right for Jonathan. It's about, it's about what's right for David at that point in time. Yeah. So understanding the key roles that we are serving and the context in which they're currently operating drives value. So what, what we do effectively is say, rather than aim for this big thing called the outcome, let's break it, let's atomize it. Let's bring it down to you know elemental level. And I call them value elements. And let's say, right, when Jonathan when the data or the information we've got says, Jonathan is at this point in time, this, this point in context, that's what we advise him. 
and we focus on that little bit. Now, when you do that, a number of things happen. One is you're playing to the individual. Two is you're making them look good. And there's a lot of psychology around little steps rather than big steps. Um, three is it becomes iterative, repetitive. Um, so you can actually point to adding value constantly. The other yeah. thing is it becomes very quick. So my yeah. model for value delivery is the app store. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many people go and download an app from Apple or Google? And the first thing they do is say, I'm going to give you a call from a CSN. And it'll be next week. And it'll take you a month to get this set up. And it'll probably be another year before you can see some measurable value from it. Doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Why doesn't it happen, yeah. Jonathan? It doesn't happen because it's been designed not to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't take that. If you look at personal success and outcomes thinking, a lot of it comes from big, old, traditional software companies. Yeah. It doesn't come from you know, what we think of today as modern SaaS businesses. Yeah. They're very different. If you want to look at where CS is going in the future, don't look at, you know, companies that are as old as the one I started. Go and look at companies that are starting up in the last 12 months, last two, three years. Yeah. That's where you'll get your lessons about what customer success really is. Yeah. I love it. There's, there's so much in there that I'd, I'd, I'd like to unpack. I'm, I know we're running short on time, but... um just 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 sort of to unpack a few of these threads so like you you're talking about something that was described to me by a chap from salesforce actually is like the convenience economy right this idea that you know um i mean for example in my household i think my wife is on first name terms with the various app uh companies that deliver wine or food to our house um right uh, uh but um and that immediacy right we're so used to that in our consumer lives yeah. which is, I think, a blessing and a curse, um, if just from a society perspective. But then, as you say, if you then translate that into the world of B2B SaaS, if you're in an environment where it's like you've got to crank the chain to get your customers set up and then seeing value and it's taking you a long, a long period of time, that's so alien to people these days in, in, in the modern world, right? Like that yeah. whole experience is very, um, is very, is very challenging. If, though, you happen to be in a company where you can't quite deploy it and switch it on, right? Because, again, in B2B SaaS, like, particularly like what we sell, we can't do that because professional services is very complex and there are, you know, there's a lot of financial processes, project management processes, staffing processes, approval mechanisms that do have to be at least confirmed and mapped. But what guidance would you give to companies where they have that kind of complexity to navigate in terms of like staying focused on the outcomes for example what what kind of what 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 guidance would you give to people in how to keep that at the center of your world i think there are two things jonathan one is break it down so you know think of it as what do i need to do with the different individuals that i'm serving and yep. what is it that i can do very very quickly very effectively yep um so that would be one. The other one is I would have a skunk works or something like that said, how do we rebuild this problem and this product in a way that we simplify what people do? Yeah. Because I think one of the mistakes we make is 
we, we accept that we've got a complex problem and we don't challenge ourselves to say, how can we radically simplify that? That's, you know, that's the Elon Musk first principles thinking. How do we get back down to basics and actually take out that complexity? Can you do all of it? No. Can we do a lot of it? I suspect so. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, we one of the things that our customers are often trying to like answer is when can we start, right? Like uh, they've got a they've got a, someone in a sales organization is asking the services team, when can we start? If we if we sell this deal, when when can we start? And this particular company was asking, like, is there a way that you can just give us that answer? And like, that's what they want. Um, and I said, well, yes and no, unfortunately, because one, within a week, your people need to have a certain amount of capacity to start something, I would imagine. They need two hours, three hours, four hours, whatever it is, right? And then within that week, though, if they've got that, there's then their existing schedule and diary, right? So if the customer wants to do a call and a kickoff on a Tuesday, are they on holiday or are they in the office, for, for example, right? Yeah. But as you say, I think that... Yeah. that being able to, to, to like, like take very complex things and, and radically simplify them for your customers. I mean, that is the point of, of automation, right? Is that you're giving people time back. But to your point earlier, I think you make a really good point, which is like a lot of people would just talk about, oh, well, you need to automate, you need to automate, you need to automate. And, it, you, you know, that will drive all these improvements for your company. We were talking to a company not dissimilar to SurveyMonkey and we asked them like, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you want out of this? And they said, and it was an amazing answer, time back for our team. Time back for our team to work with our clients and do better work and have better lives. I was like, amazing. Yeah. yeah. And the process is understand, simplify, automate. Yeah. It's not automation. Because if you, if you jump to the automation, what you tend to do, Jonathan, is you automate what you've got. And I think my, my understanding is that quite often what you've got is wrong in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, very true. And so, um, and so as, you, as you think about this, like going back to this idea of, right, we want to we wanna design our organisation, we want to get rid of this like siloed thinking, this let's create a department for everything. Yeah. Um, I think you're going to be, is, is part of the next book going to be about this? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. the next book is, um, the working title, and it is a working title, is um, Customer Success is B2B SaaS. And the whole okay. concept of it is this, how do you build this company-wide capability? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, a lot of the book, by the way, I have to say, is based on mistakes I've made. <laughs> And that yeah. quite often is where you get some really good lessons from. Um, so it is losing out on a you know, lot of money because we'd got lines in our uh, P&L called customer support and customer success and services, which when I was talking to Dave Goldberg, the, the chief executive said, I understand why they're there. Recognize what impact they're having on your P&L and therefore your growth and therefore your valuation. So you know, I don't want to pay the same amount of money for your services revenue as I do for your product revenue because it's not scalable. Yeah. And, I, you know, I understand that you need support and success, but if you look at what it looks like in our P&L, very different to what it looks like in your P&L in terms of scale. Why? Yeah. Because we've thought about what are the people that we serve, what their needs are, and how we can do more of that in the product. And the other thing is, 
you know, you, you then just start to think that if you've got this red thread, you've got to start with understanding what that red thread looks like. You've got to start with, so I think there are probably four or five lessons around organization. One is there are probably four fundamental frameworks you've got to figure out. One is who, what are the characteristics of your chosen customers? And target companies, a piece of it, the most important thing are the roles, the individuals that you serve. What are their jobs to be done? What are their challenges? What do they stay awake at night? How are they measured? What does good look like in their eyes? And we do far too little in building a deep understanding of the needs of the individuals we serve. I think the second is you have to start to build your organization from the outside in. So back in, I think it was about 2010, we did an exercise at ClickTools. We got, you know, we got the head of marketing, sales, CS, product, me, a couple of other people, and some people out of their teams. And we basically said, if we were to design an experience for our customers, which met their needs, what would it look like? So we built at a very high level, a single buyer stroke customer journey, end to end. And every step of that journey was written in words and phrases that the customers said. Not what we, did we add onto that what we needed to do to help them achieve that? Yeah. So we figured out what their challenges were at every part of this journey. And then said, how did can we Did you validate help them? it with them? Yeah, absolutely. Did you validate? Yeah. 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 We yeah. talked to customers. By the way, we're a survey app, so we surveyed customers around it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I've, I've just done a similar exercise for, a, for another company. Um, same thing you know we did structured interviews with customers and we did surveys so yeah so that's that's the other one the, the third one is yeah. once you start to understand these individuals you understand that journey you then start to build what i call a value framework and the value framework it says for these think of this as a series of interconnected boxes um, you know for these roles what are their pain and gain issues what are the leading and lagging indicators of those? So, you know, what low-level metrics can you affect and how, what business impact does that have? How does your product and service features relate to that and help address that? And what help and advice can you provide around that? And effectively, what you do is, you know, this pain and gain, you build up little, what's the deal, value elements, little elements of value that you can deal with very quickly. And the process becomes one of, Identify pain and gain, address it. Next pain and gain, address it. Next pain and gain, address it. Keep repeating those pain and gains because they're core, but take them to the next level. And it becomes a very iterative process. Onboarding yeah. is not this big thing that says, this is how you use all the features and functionality of our product. Onboarding yeah. is, this is what you need to address this specific pain and gain, which by the way, you've chosen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, it's, takes it into very small bite-sized chunks that you can deal with rapidly. Mm -hmm. So you, you, it's measurable, it's rapid, it's repetitive. Mm -hmm. That's not how most value delivery processes look in most organizations today. No, no, agreed. They're oftentimes too big bang. They're oftentimes, yeah. Yeah. you know, like we, let, let's train you on every single feature we have. And it's like, you know, that person's forgotten that 20 minutes exactly. later after the next yeah. meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And I mean, the, the fourth piece, by the way. And what's the fourth metrics. one? What's the fourth it's one? Metrics. Yeah. So it yeah. goes back to the, you know, NRR, 
CLTV to CAC, find mm -hmm. probably two metrics. One is your metric. The other one is the customer's metric that really matters. What some people call the North Star metric. But it's got to be their metric, not yours. And I think if you get everybody in the organization focused on those two things, then you start to. So this, this, you know, lots of people talk about how do we get sales and CS to work together? How do we get product and customer success aligned? How do we get marketing and sales aligned? I think mm -hmm. alignment's another way of saying we failed to design an organization that's joined up in the first place. Yeah. We retrofit alignment to a bad organization to paper over cracks. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, and it's always the crack, the cracks widen, the, the, the bigger you get, the faster you've got to go. And, yeah. and then if you've got that bad design from an early stage, then it, it just gets worse and worse over time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that metrics that matter piece. I think that's a really, like there's a tremendous amount of insight in this episode. This is one of the favorite conversations I've, I've had. So thank you ever so much. I think I just want to, play that back to you so what you're saying around that metrics that matter piece is so for example for us we measure time to value right in our business for our customers but we're also measuring time to value for our customers with their customers right yeah i mean for that's one of the things that we want to put in our case studies for example right is they we took it from 90 days to 60 days right yeah um but i don't think when I think about my company KPIs dashboard that I've got in Salesforce, for example, I don't have that customer metric because I think time to value is probably the central one for most of our clients in some shape or form. Yeah. Um, we don't have that. And I think we should be capturing that via a survey um, well, and, and via customer success. And then that's, that's one of our, one of our internal metrics. So I'm going to start doing that. I, I, I need to send some commission to the customer co. <laughs> but Brilliant. I think if you can find very effective ways of measuring or understanding the value the, the value that customers are achieving that becomes the heart of what you're driving at but we don't we tend to we tend to shy away we, we don't shy away I think it's actually very very hard work it's really difficult I'm working with this role at the moment, and it's taken us probably six months to get a really good handle on how different players and the customers we serve measure what we do. Yeah. Because quite often they don't understand it either. It's yeah. difficult, hard-thinking work. Yeah. Having done that, our ability to, to show measurable, repeatable value to customers is going to be far, far greater. True. And I also think one thing we identified or I, I, I saw in, in talking to some customers is that there's a gap in the knowledge in the customer between the departments in the company. So the onboard that like the customer success organization for one of our clients, they're a, an identity management solution. And um, the way that they so they they charge a fee like a subscription fee and then they make money on services fees like like mm -hmm. a commission in effect. Right. Mm -hmm. So they have a they have a time to value metric and they have a time to money metric because like they're getting paid, you know, obviously when the, the customer starts using that product. And so they they we were talking about how they shortened the delivery time fairly significantly. And and I said, well, your CFO must love you. And they said, oh, I said, what do, what do you mean? I said, well, the financial impact of that, if you're charging X and you're making Y, 
times this amount of projects that's like in this particular example i was like that's that's two million euros pulled into a quarter so over a year that's you know as you grow that's going to be quite significant and they were like oh we never thought about it like that which amazed me right because i was like that's 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 huge like if you're and and so many people then struggle with justifying our world right like justifying why we need that additional head and I'm like, that's crazy. Like, look at look at the financial yeah. impact of what you've done. But they didn't yeah. even like think of and, it that way, you know. And it is a common. I think it's a common failing in many uh, value delivery organisations, and it is a lack of commercial awareness. Yeah, bingo. So I'm, I'm doing this interim role at Deepcall. One of the things that I did quite early on was I took my CS and PS leadership team through six. Something like six one-hour sessions um, on how a SaaS company, how the financials work, how it's valued, how it's measured, how investors view it. Because I think if you don't understand that, you know you're going to struggle to to show how you're going to make an impact. And you know you go to the to a leadership team or a board and say, "I need some more money for some people." They're going to say, "Well, why?" Well, because. It's going to allow me to do this, which is going to allow me to change my retention metrics to this, which is going to generate this much additional revenue, which our rate of growth is an additional X on our valuation. Yep. There's your case. Don't just go, I want some more people. Why? Because we're busy. Yeah. No, I think that commercial acumen is, is probably one of the, the most underappreciated capabilities yeah. across across all roles across yeah. all roles of like actually understanding how things work like even the words they're saying out of their mouth right it's like do you understand what that meant uh, we we ask in, in interview like we ask in interviews um what do, do, because we serve SaaS like do, what does SaaS mean and so I've heard like young yeah. folks coming through in their early 20s and they were saying well it's a service isn't it you're providing a service and I'm like well yeah but what kind of company are they well, it's a service, and I'm like, no, but they're a product company, so it's the yeah. it's the business model. Um, yeah. For example, yeah. is so so no, I mean that that certainly resonates. Dave, amazing to have you on. As expected, massive shout out to Alex Farmer, who speaks very highly of you. Uh, uh, just just absolutely so much rich insight in here. It's incredible. Um, so I'm I'm very excited about when we when we share this more broadly. So thank you ever Thanks so much for taking your time. Thanks for the introduction, Alex. And uh, by the way, say hello to Andy for me. Uh, Mr. Mahood? Mr. Mahood, yeah. I will do. I will do, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks Good. ever so much. Yeah, thanks for the chance. Bye. Cheers, Dave.